0: Welcome to the Shelf Podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, and their connection to bigger topics. I'm your co host, Sugu, and tonight we're going to talk about everything, everywhere, all at once.
1: I'm your co host, Darby, and tonight we're going to talk about why the best movie of 2022 involves Ginny Slate slinging a dog. All right, <laughs> just take one of those. Huh? <laughs> Before we begin, by way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, the author of the novels, Ever the Hero and A Country of Eternal Light. I collect comic books, Star Wars toys, and things
0: I really should not be buying. (laughs) And I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. I collect mostly Transformers, but I've recently started collecting Marvel Legends figures and die-cast cars, such as Hot Wheels. Since living in Japan, I've developed an interest in tabletop gaming, so I also have a wide collection of board games. Tonight we're going to talk about Michelle Yeoh's masterpiece, Everything Everywhere All at Once. So, Darb, there are tons and tons and tons of things to talk about with this there's tons to unpack there's like 50 videos on youtube that are all analyzing it that are still in my watch later playlist um i've seen it now twice and i still feel like i haven't gotten everything or everywhere or all at once um there there's a lot to to talk about with this so We're going to try and give us one hour to talk about it and see what we can come up with. (laughs) How many things are we going to miss and and all that, but we're going to give it our best shot. So, uh, Darb, why don't you kick us off? What did you think?
1: Well, this is the best movie of the year, Um, hands down. Um, One of the best movies I've ever seen for a movie that was made for $5 approximately. It's extraordinary. <laughs> it's one of the very, very uh, low budget movie uh, that accomplishes an enormous amount with nothing. My understanding is they had a, a post-production staff of two working uh, on the all the effects and stuff during COVID. Um, so, Round of applause to everybody involved, but especially the entire production crew on this movie, who um, uh, I'm going to assume worked at home and finished this movie. Extraordinary story, extraordinary acting, few things in life equal the joy of realizing uh, that Waymond is K.U. (laughs) Quan, his short round. And realizing this in the moment in the theater, losing your little nerd brain. Um, And then uh, this is, uh, I hesitate to say another multiverse movie because it's part of a sort of uh, movement uh, in movies and fiction and everything going on right now with this. I hesitate to say another, but it is part of it. And I, I think in that respect, more than any of the others... Um, I've had a lot of people tell me this is essentially this and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness are the same movie I think on some level they are right they're telling a similar story this is a completely different movie and uh, and much more for me successful one and I've been dying to talk about this all summer I was very fortunate to be able to I was a guest on Mav, um, Christopher Maverick's podcast, Fox Popcast, a couple months ago to talk about this movie and the multiverse. And, and I had a lot of thoughts about it then, as I do now. Um, and I, I just, I love this movie. I love everything about it. And I had one of the, this is one of the movies where you're watching it and you have, I know I'm rambling right now, but you have this sort of genuine roller coaster feel where I was so plugged into the movie that I, I I just went along, went along for the ride. And so the parts that were very tragic and despondent in the story felt very tragic and despondent and the parts that were very uplifting uh, and uh, accomplished felt that way too. And so, and the parts that were laugh out loud were laugh out loud and I uh, absolute bedlam in the theater with the dog. We'll talk about the dog. Um, so, yeah. But what did you? What did you think? What? What? what sort are of your macro thoughts? Maybe.
0: <laughs> I I've got several. Um, well, I I want to address this the Doctor Strange thing first because I know someone who, uh, doesn't really watch the MCU movies. Doesn't get into them at all. Uh, (laughs) thinks that the MCU movies are too lowbrow and the only one Mm. wants to watch highbrow stuff. Um, But this person watched Doctor Strange and uh, Everything Everywhere all at once. Beyond me, why they watched Doctor Strange, but okay. Uh, I don't know if I would say that it's the same movie at all. I mean you can argue that it's multiversal in a way, but at the same time, like the way that everything everywhere all at once deals with the multiverse concept is through, uh, not through Dr. Strange, which is dreams, but through, I think, what if Dr. Strange, and that was through choices, right? Well, they have different
1: tautologies and they're, I'll just say, Um, everything everywhere features the most extraordinary diegetic use of traveling the multiverse you've ever seen. Where um, um, Jobu (laughs) travels through several universes simply by clicking her head. Mm -hmm. Um, This is, I'm going to assume, is a product of the fact they had no money. But it's also, it lends itself to this cinematic immediacy and editing, which Dr. Strange had a budget of around $200 million. Extraordinary visual, you know, visuals in that movie, um, that feel very rote in comparison to me. Anyway, um, uh, they're, to your point, they're similar in that they're dealing with sort of, there, there's sort of multiversal travel, but everything everywhere does it through this concept, which is basically the matrix. And the, they turn the multiverse into the Matrix, and you download your skills from yeah, a multiversal right, right. person, which I thought was clever. A Because great... in reality,
0: you aren't traveling the multiverse. You're just bringing, you're, you're, as you said, you're downloading their skills into you. So you're staying in the same reality.
1: Staying in the same reality. And there's a lot of great uh, uh, film references in this movie to several... 80s, uh, 90s sort of classics, including The Matrix, down to the point that the one scene in particular where this is going on is has this green tint to it, which The Matrix does, of course, whenever they're in The Matrix, the movie has this green sort of color scheme to it. A um, lot of great references, Back to the Future, etc. Um, uh, so I, I loved all of that. Um and I love just the way that it dealt with the sort of philosophical uh, ramifications of the multiverse, and it did it in through these characters who are wonderful and engaging, and instantly you just form instant sort of connections with them. And um, you know, I just Michelle Yeoh, I could just go on forever and ever. I was, Michelle Yeoh, amazing actress. Here, probably her best performance i would say um
0: mm-hmm. i i would say that it's a collection of all of her previous ex- uh, uh experience in many ways it is yeah yeah they even use past footage of hers
1: they do they do yeah uh michelle yo who does not age uh, nevertheless they um they uh they did uh incorporate some of her hong kong stuff uh, into some of those scenes, and a great sort of Kill Bill homage, which it's Kill Bill itself is an homage to
2: <laughs> those,
1: some of those earlier uh, Hong Kong action films. Um, she's basically playing herself in the movie, sort of the movie star. That literally the red carpet footage of her, literally uh, that they used in the movie of, of Michelle Yeoh, and in that sort of respect. So that was that was fascinating. And then Hu uh, Kwan, I just want to say again, who has been out of acting for 20-plus years. This is his first role in a very long time. And has I he actually say, been
0: out of acting or just been my, relegated
1: to really small parts? That's my understanding is that he, he's, he has been out of it. Hmm. He's done some behind-the-scenes stuff, I guess. But I that that's criminal because he gives a master class. He's a great actor. You see that here. Um, I I Waymond is a fascinating character, and he plays a various versions of him, including the Alpha Waymond, uh, and um, the movie. Well, not the movie star, but the, her the movie star Evelyn's former husband. Um, I just I he I thought he was great. And I wanna see more of him. He they you need to put him in everything. And then uh Stephanie Shu as Joy the Daughter and Jobu. Boo. Uh wow. Uh she was just first time I'd seen her in anything that I remember. She's just amazing. She's absolutely amazing. And a role that
0: demanded quite a bit. Um yeah. yeah, uh someone pointed out to me that this movie has uh the daughter Joy having to stand toe to toe next to Michelle Yeoh and carry the movie on her own or not on her own but like carry her part of the movie with alongside Michelle Yeoh. That is not a small task.
1: <laughs> no, it is not. And you're. The movie's so fascinating. It's take these characters who are. Waymond and Evelyn are in their own way meek. In the sense that they're not sort of alpha type characters. They're not making choices, they're actively avoiding making choices at the beginning of the movie. This is part of their problem. This is why the multiverse is such a fascinating concept for the movie to deal with. So they're they're not making choices. And they're to the point where Waymond is carrying around the divorce papers in his pocket, but he's still papering over it. Evelyn is putting things everywhere. The house, the, the business are just overwhelmed with stuff. There's stuff everywhere. She's constantly dealing with this paperwork. For the taxes that she doesn't really, she doesn't have a handle on, um, she doesn't have a handle on anything. Um, she's, uh, she sort of says she's okay with Joy and Joy's girlfriend. Um, I, but she's not, she's unsettled by it. Um, she's unsettled by a lot of things. She's unhappy in her life because she's made choices in her life that she now regrets um i there's a reading of this movie i think which is fascinating as you travel through the multiverse and you realize that in other in other universes evelyn herself is gay and um you wonder if maybe evelyn is gay in in her universe and she married wayman because that's what you do and now she's confronted by her daughter and her daughter's apparent um ease with herself and that that unsettles Evelyn. the um, Movie's not explicit in that, but I, I think it's there. That's an interesting read. Um, the um, I to the point where I you know i a uh, person I saw the movie with described Wayman as feminine. I think I think there's an aspect of femininity to Wayman which is contrasted severely with Alpha Wayman and then. Um, the movie star women and um, that I thought was interesting and um, the movie reaches for some of that stuff in terms of gender and things like that doesn't quite get its arms around it Um, but it, it it does a lot the movie does and without really trying to grab onto too much except the existential thing at the heart of it which I think is the most fascinating thing and, and the sort of existential nihilism which emerges out of Jobu and the movie, the sort of, the dark, the dark beating bagel at the heart of the movie, uh, which is this sort of existential nihilism of, of the, which is basically in a, in a multiverse where everything exists, nothing matters. And it's very despondent, that part of the movie. And it's it sort of... Um, Jobu uh, enjoys uh, despair over the meaninglessness of everything and the pointlessness of everything and just wanting that to go away and at uh, Evelyn's feelings of just wanting it all to go away. All of it, the taxes, her difficulties with Waymond, her father who is there and she's trying to appease her father, she's trying to appease Joy, she can't, she, those things are all in conflict. Um and Joyce her great dissatisfaction with her life at, at, in the later stages of her life. And I, th- I thought it was, all, and then she, and then to be confronted by other lives in which she finds success and then can draw from it is fascinating. So, um,
0: you know, yeah. One thing I really liked about the movie, specifically the ending, um, is, uh, <laughs> spoilers, by the way, spoiler alert, Mm-hmm. Um, how just when it feels like everything's coming together and Evelyn has kind of started to create meaning out of things and she's come back and she's decided to, to make life worth living, Joy still is like, look, I'm glad that you've got things figured out. I'm glad that it's happening for you, but it's still crap. Mm -hmm. like i i i really like that part because it is like the victory isn't that easy uh especially someone who has been contemplating suicide for uh the bulk of her teenage years i think we can infer infer Mm -hmm. uh and so to 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 acknowledge a little bit that it's not so simple as uh tie it up with the little gift bow i think was really interesting and i really like that part
1: the movie um succeeds in avoiding narrative uh shortcuts and also just sort of typical standard narrative Mm -hmm. and this is the great thing about the multiverse which i'm so fascinated by and in my own writing and then in other works which is in this movie i think far more than Doctor Strange or other like shows starts to get there and to your point it's not It's simply resolved you don't simply resolve these things and though Waymond and um, Evelyn find an accord at the end of the movie they still mm-hmm. have major problems they still have the tax problems mm-hmm. um, they still have the uh, working things out with joy Which those those are big things. And Joy's challenges are massive and they they're just they're just not resolved. But the way that Evelyn chooses to resolve things is not by a traditional narrative in which she she makes a conscious choice that instead of beating the shit out of everything, which is what typical movies like this, action movies like this will do, you win, you conquer, you defeat, you overcome. Um, She chooses not to do that. She chooses to embrace, and she does that by trying to reach out to her enemies and to the people in her life that are challenged by her. And then in that way, she opens doors, um, not just to the multiverse, but to herself and to her family, and she opens that door to Joy. She doesn't work anything out for Joy, other than she confronts her father about Joy's um, sexuality, and she's like, this is how it is. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't, that
0: doesn't, doesn't, doesn't solve doesn't the problems. doesn't solve the problems. It doesn't uh, everything.
1: It doesn't undo the generational trauma, which exists in this family. Right. Um, uh, and, um, but it opens doors and the movie flirts with, um, the potential of getting to a different kind of narrative that's not traditionally, western or traditionally classical sort of um uh western story structure or something that's traditionally masculine and that's limited by the fact that this movie is written and directed by men it's something i think about all the time as is a person who is writing women um and what it means for 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 are there there are different approaches to storytelling and to narrative that involve characters of um, extraordinary power, as Ev- Evelyn eventually becomes, um, that avoid typical masculine Western uh, outcomes because the, those narrative, those narratives are so ingrained in our DNA and our consciousness that we just sort of regurgitate them without ever really thinking about it. This movie does some of that, and then it also tries, I think, to avoid that in ways um, which I think are very fascinating um, and worth worth dissecting. You know, like, um, there's a lot of things the movie sort of indulges in that I, I you know, I, I probably could have, I think I had the one raccoonie joke was enough for me personally, but the movie decides to, <laughs> to play that thread <laughs> out. Uh, okay you know but those things are super interesting to me and then the way you know like i said the way that the movie sort of diegetically uses its opportunities to get at the storytelling and, and go through go through universes go through lives and then using the matrix concept to access these things i thought it was it was fantastic it was a great yeah. it was dis- it was
0: different and it was you know in it was interesting too because i from for myself when i was watching it uh, both times. I was reminded of that flash fiction thing that I wrote way back in like 2004, I think. No, 2008, maybe? 2009? Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that's on Fictionaut, the Felix Gunderson. You remember that? Yeah. The Many Lies of Felix Gunderson. And it's basically just talks about this character who is... Lived all these different lives, and then it ends up as he's just by himself in an apartment, alone. Nothing ever realized. And I was, as I was watching everything ever all at once, I was like, "This is very similar to that little flash story that I wrote." So I thought was kind of interesting. Just to, that it was like that. I'm like, huh? Cool.
1: I thought about a man, uh, as you say that. Uh, I thought about a man named George Bell who died alone in his apartment in Queens and was the subject of an article in the New York Times in 2015. And he uh, reminds me very much of Waymond and or Evelyn. Um, discovered in his apartment uh, George Bell uh, after several weeks uh, because he was alone and had no family and. Uh, There's a horrible, sad aspect of New York City uh, that includes paupers' graves, which is unfortunate. Paupers' graves? Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, New York, of course, millions and millions and millions of people, uh, sadly, not all of them are uh, rich in family or friends or loved ones. And so George Bell, unfortunately, is a common occurrence. And um they often have no one to claim them. Mm-hmm. And they end up in there are pauper's graves in New York that in which people are buried. Wow. Um uh I was thinking about him as you said that. Um yeah, and I was I was thinking about uh Kid Baldwin whose uh apartment <laughs> she grows up in, she lives in with her mom and uh, ever the hero is very similar to the the house that um evelyn and wayman live in with all of its uh problems um it's i i it it, the family dynamic is very familiar uh where you're confronted with generational differences which magnifies time goes on you have evelyn's father who Uh, obviously he's one end of the spectrum in terms of his traditionalist sort of background to the point where he kind of disowns her when she leaves. And then uh, her and Waymond are a different generation who sort of begin with this sort of youthful um, opportunity and verve that clearly dies out and then Evelyn becomes resentful and bitter but doesn't ever express that. She just passively, aggressively projects that onto everybody, including Wayman. Wayman unable to confront it directly. Wayman just wants to please everyone, but he eventually pursues a divorce. Because Wayman is unable to articulate anything in a constructive way, This she finds out about this in a very not healthy way. Joy is open and honest and, um, Uh, very uh, modern, millennial in her sensibilities, but is still unable to overcome this this sense of pointlessness, which is horrific and tragic and sad that she sort of feels and then manifests in its apex form in Jobu, who, Jobu manifests out of the, like I was saying earlier, this sort of existential nihilism that emerges from Jobu's experience in the multiverse, which is that when everything is possible, everything is Nothing meaningless. Nothing is meaningful. Yeah. Uh, which is nihilism in its f- worst form, and uh, the movie wallows in this for a big chunk of time, uh, to the point where it made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the that was the biggest sort of feel. You know, I and the movie is structured in these in these three acts. And the movie essentially, the movie literally ends, doesn't it? Literally rolls credits at the end of the second act. And then Evelyn appears to die, existential nihilism into the multiverse, and then roll credit. And then we cut to uh, movie star Evelyn uh, in the real world as she's getting up from the movie that she's watching. Um, very effective, very. Left me I, I just like you know left a bad taste in my mouth. This is happening. And I was like, where are we going with this? Right, like how How is this going to work? Um, and then you know the movie eventually obviously recovers and doesn't end there doesn't leave itself there and it, it finds this place of you know no um, everything that exists um, that means you know it's not that everything that there's no meaning to everything because everything is possible and therefore there's no plan or design or whatever you want to call it that that means that everything has value you know there is value in everything everything is right everything is and so everything is everything is precious everything has value and and even though there are as we see in all these multiversal stories there are variants of All these characters in everything, everywhere, and then also in Doctor Strange and in everything books and comic books and movies and things like that. Um, You're like, well, what's the point? No, uh, these are all singular entities and they all have value. And you're able to draw on the value. Evelyn does in a way that's really fascinating. She just ends up drawing endlessly on the value of all these people Um, her, her selves, her variant selves, to sort of achieve sort of uh, uber Evelyn, I guess, um, which I thought was fantastic, you know, um, so I, I love that, but it was, it it it, did, it, did get, it leaves you a lot to think about, because like you said, it's not settled at the end, you know, it's, but that's life, it's not, it, it, you're confronted by difficult things and you reach certain natural conclusions. Are natural pauses, but those things go on, and those sort of those, the joys go on, the hurts go on, the griefs go on, and you just sort of have to navigate that every day. You know, you have to find a way to sort of get around it, and you have to put, you have to compartmentalize that somewhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in Evelyn's case, um, she's stuffing everything everywhere <laughs> in her life, and it just sort of spills out. But
0: yeah, one of the things that you mention or that you talked about I, I wanted to kind of come back because uh it reminds me of something that i've lived with for a while now uh i'm as you know but our audience probably doesn't uh i'm an atheist and growing up in america atheism has been <laughs> generally pretty much frowned upon um but people always ask me uh if you're an atheist, you're not going to heaven, then none of this means anything. How do you, how do you square that? And they think it's a gotcha question for me, but I'm like, but don't you get it? For me, I don't get a heaven. I don't get a hell to work towards. This is what I have. I have this life. I have exactly this one life. That means the onus is on me to make it, as best as I can. Cause I don't have blessed are the meek, for they will eventually one day, someday, maybe, kinda, inherit the earth. I I don't get that. I this is what I have. Um so watching the watching Joy no, sorry. Watching Evelyn succumb to Joy's nihilism about things not having meaning and that was hard to watch because it it goes against my own ethos, right? Like it's just like, no, no, it's not that nothing has meaning. It's that everything has the meaning that you assign to it. Like things can be meaningful or they can be absurd, but it's not the thing itself that determines the absurdity or the meaningful meaningfulness. It's the viewer. Which goes into a a saying that I've always said for I don't know how many years, but that perception determines reality, right? Like what you perceive, that is your reality. And you can perceive things as no point or meaningless. and, And that can invariably lead to a very empty existence. Or you can perceive things as having meaning because you enjoy it. Like that's all there is to it. You know, Um, on another example, you and I, we collect action figures. Is there any meaning to it? It provides joy. That's, that's kind of the end of it, right? Like there's no, there's no further necessary thing. It doesn't have to be, Um, deconstructing reality mind-numbing purposeful things can just be joyful and I think it's really interesting and there's several layers to this of why Evelyn or the writers named the daughter Joy. Obviously in universe uh, Evelyn named her Joy because well that's what you do right? Like The child represents joy, but the writers made her name as being joy so that when you said earlier, Evelyn embraces joy. I mean, that's a double meaning right there. She embraces both her daughter because that's a way to bring someone out of the depression, but also she embraces the concept of joy by putting the googly eye on her forehead and being like what a symbol for life being uh an avatar for for happiness, right. right? Like spraying the perfume to the guy because that's what his wife used to like, or engaging in BDSM because that's what that other guy likes, right? Like there's that embrace of all the different ways of happiness, and it's not you know it's not just the one way of presenting flowers to someone but it's all of these different ways in the human experience that people experience joy and it's really interesting that joy the character is such an inversion of that while being named joy no i
1: yeah you said a lot and it's all very interesting and i have a lot of thoughts about all of it Uh, i thought real quick nerd aside evelyn's uh placement of the the, the dot on her forehead is this representation of sort of enlightenment and awareness. Doctor Strange obviously opens his third eye. Doctor Strange and they're both meant to represent the exact, literal exact same thing in movie, in narratives which are largely similar.
0: It almost seems the opposite though because Evelyn opens her third eye into meaning, I think, right? And into happiness. But Doctor Strange's third eye is like this sign of corruption in the movie. Yeah. The sinister Doctor Strange has the third eye at the Are end. You're right. He I, screams in pain and his then his third eye opens. Involuntary. Like it, it has a much which more is negative conversation. Odd, given
1: his journey in the movie. And Evelyn chooses very deliberately uh, her enlightenment. Uh, the very two very different things. And her journey in the movie is traveling from inaction to... Not making choices, letting things literally pile up with the attendant consequences, and then finally making this profound choice with the silliest thing possible. Uh, but it's not silly because it's it represents this terrific moment, as you just detailed, where she opens her mind, and then she opens all these doors to other people's joy and their happiness and their meaning, and so a lot of the things that you were talking about are go back to. Human beings um, largely function off of narrative and story. Um, you know we construct our entire lives, our civilizations, our histories around it. And when you don't have those when when you don't have those things, it does leave you in bad places um, because we, we just I think as, 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 as a people, as a species, we, we kind of need it. And that manifests in different ways, right? Um, You know, uh, that just story itself, personal meaning, personal narrative, finding your story. Uh, Maybe that is religion. Maybe that is spirituality. And that is important for people. There's a girl at the gas station who's gotten in trouble because she tells me and she tells everybody else as you're checking out to have a blessed day. Well, they told her they can't tell people that because that's offensive you know, it doesn't bother me but now she's tied up in knots because she wants to say it she can't say it. uh but that made her happy right to, to tell people that and it's not offensive if it, if, it, if, you, if you don't if you don't want her to tell you that just be like I'm um, cool but um but the finding value yeah what happens i think with some folks there are a lot of folks who are deeply spiritual and find meaning in in spirituality and find meaning in other people and so but then there are people that like you were saying at the outset where this is conflict between the only meaning is through x insert religion here or insert ideology here and then you get people who literally have bumper stickers on their car that say you know jesus take the wheel uh, which is the ultimate abandonment of agency in your own life. And as I said last week on our Miss Marvel episode, you and you just said, you only get one trip here. This is it. And so you have to take full advantage of your opportunities and your agency as much as you can. Not everybody can, given their circumstances. If you're able to harness your agency, You can find value in yourself and your story and other people's story and you can unlock other possibilities and other lives within yourself, which is Evelyn is doing in the multiverse, but we all do it. You can find different lives within yourself and you can recognize too. hopefully as Evelyn does when things don't work. I mean, when you're in love with someone, but you're very different people. Mm And you're on different journeys in life, and you reach a point in which you're unwilling to let go of each other, as uh, Evelyn and Wayman are. But you can't because you're there is something between you that um, both of you rely on. Um, it becomes a crutch, and it becomes it doors start closing in your life instead of opening as they have for Evelyn and Wayman, and so they kind of find each other again at the end, but, um, but they, what they've really found is new meaning and they found, you know, Evelyn recognizes this is her life. She's very, she's got extraordinary, uh, richness in her life. She has a daughter, extraordinary human being. Her husband is someone who has all these qualities that she doesn't really appreciate. She doesn't really see, Wayman talks the, G- <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis's, uh, whose name I forget, her, I- her IRS agent talks her out of the, um, she comes to the, to the laundromat to sort of confiscate it, I guess. Um, and um, he talks her out of it, as he basically talks her out of it, talks, talks him into getting more time with the IRS uh, several points during the thing. He talks, El- Alpha Wayman talks Evelyn into the whole deal and
0: um Mm -hmm. well uh rich and successful Wayman he even said it himself I know you think I'm weak because I don't fight the same way that you do but this is how I fight uh all the darkness is by bringing more happiness or by bringing more joy into the world like I thought that was really interesting and what it implies is uh Something that from another TV show that I really liked, which is Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is the ultimate optimist, right? Like he is always happy, he always sees everything in this positive frame of mind. But as you watch the show, as you listen to his backstory, as you listen to like some of the things that is very subtle about his life, you realize his optimism is actually well earned. It isn't just fanciful optimism or like deliriously seeing the, the good in things. And that's Wayman is like that too. He, he said himself that he, this is how he fights that nihilism um, from coming in, from coming in uh, in his own thoughts.
1: It's very hard. One of the things I, I one of the things that just struck me most about the movie was the sort of nihilism and that, one of the, you know, you sort of fight these things in your own life, and and Joy and Jobu's state of mind is very familiar, and um, and that sort of entropy that happens and that it's... entropy is at the heart of all of this in the sense that it's this this sort of... well nothing matters and everything's just going to end, and everything decays anyway and so so what if there is um infinite multiverse of whatever so what it all ends the same way and it doesn't make anything better and then you know what what can you really do you get to you get to a certain as Evelyn and Wayman have even joy you reach a certain point in life and you get to you get to a place where um you know you you Your life, but your story forms, and so your 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 end stage, your conclusion to your story is pretty well solidified. Uh, You know, uh, your character is fate, uh, and then your choices lead to consequences, and they box you in, and so there are only. And you get to a certain age and then if you're if you if those choices haven't paid off or if you're frustrated by any aspect of your life um you know that things you just can't simply overcome um you know that just sort of seem insurmountable and then you're so you have that within yourself um and then like in my case um you know personally like so I'm autistic I've talked about that on the pod one thing I struggle with on a daily basis that's gotten worse not better since I became aware of this is my inability to uh, sort of uh, connect and get out of myself and and maintain connections with people really Um, that's gotten worse and as you get older in life and as you're for me anyway you're trying to make meaning, and you're trying to make mm-hmm. um, you're trying to make lasting things in your life. Uh, uh, that that leads to a lot of uh, despair. And what what is this? What, is this something? Is this something I can overcome? And overcoming it, as I mentioned earlier, in regards to sort of narrative, sort of modes of function, is not the way to think about it. I'm not going to overcome autism right i'm not going to (laughs) overcome um neurodivergence that's not the thing the thing is understanding yourself and understanding that when these things are happening that they're happening and that you're going to you're going to be aware of it and you're going to acknowledge the impacts on you and others and you're going to acknowledge too that there's a very very real possibility that this is just your this is just your life and um, you're not going to get out of it and so you're not going to get to it. You're not going to have uh, a wife and kid and picket fence and 2.3 kids I think is the standard. You're not going to have those things and you're not going to have typical lives and you're not going to have as Wayman and Evelyn wanted I think a typical American existence um, but they have a very typical American existence. They're immigrants came here and prospered in the sense that they founded a business and they had a, a child and they integrated into their community and they they <laughs> they they lead interesting lives despite their myriad problems but uh, you know you you gotta you gotta fight those things that's the biggest thing you got to open doors in your life you you know it's so easy to close and when they close they feel shut and in some cases they are you uh... sometimes when those doors close that's it but not always and so you gotta keep trying and then when you keep beating your head against the door though that's where it gets really bad and i think that's where joy is and jobu is let's say jobu has opened every door in the multiverse and found nothing but uh... entropy and but entropy is uh, maybe the the end of the universe of existence writ large, but it's not the end of sort of human meaning. It's not the end of human life. And humans we have, as we discover, uh, um, in good, bad and ugly uh, ways, um, we have, uh, so far as we know at the moment, a singular ability to write the narrative of the universe, to write the narrative of existence. We, so far as, as we know right now, are the only people in the universe who are aware of our existence, or who exist. And we are just, right now, standing on the precipice of cosmic understanding. And we get to, potentially, if we survive and get out of our own way, we get to be authors of the universe someday. Um, we, we, we're in our own lives. We're all authors of our own universes, right? And so, it's becoming aware of that and understanding that and acknowledging that, and if we're very lucky—not all of us are—because some of us get screwed—you um, you get to harness that, and you get to you get to have at least an opportunity to change your to actualize your life.
0: Yeah, I mean, in that regard, I think that's I, I think that's why for me. In some ways, I feel like Wayman is probably more powerful uh because while Joy and Evelyn have the the literal power, Wayman is the one who his power is a lot more subtle and it is still hard fought. it is still you know he's not blind, he's not naive. Um, but he's choosing he's making a choice every day to focus on other aspects the aspects that he can control choosing to to bring life to the laundromat right like that's why all the googly eyes are everywhere that's why he moved the clothes upstairs because they would be happier there and at first we were meant to To view that the way Evelyn views it, which is, you know, just annoying. He's in the way and causing problems. But in reality, he's the one that's bringing life into that situation. And when she realizes it, she adopts the third eye. She adopts the googly eyes because she recognizes that that's what it is. It's he's not just doing it to be annoying He is literally using his power of bringing, of creating meaning. That's why he can talk to the IRS agent and kind of, not manipulate, but move move the chess pieces around so that their family is still okay. Because that's his power, is creating life like that.
1: Yeah, I agree with all of that. It's all very true. He's the change agent in the story, as much as Evelyn is, but he his, his embrace of life also manifests in the fact that he wants a divorce because he wants out of a situation which is stagnant and which is in decay. And that's a great point about her adopting the eye. There's a lot of symbology in the movie. Uh, the, the antithesis of the eye is the bagel
0: yeah i love how they're mirror images of the other
1: yeah it's this
0: absurdist
1: idea the bagel but it's an eye right it's a black hole it's a it's Mm -hmm. this emptiness uh it's this macro representation of uh entropy and i i find myself um thinking about all this stuff all the time um as you're dealing in a society um we're living in a moment um, where our, um, uh, you know, the country I live in is, is in, in cultural and political crisis. Our planet is in crisis. Our, our planet is in, envir- in the process of environmental collapse. Um, and then you pile that on top of um, your personal struggles and your personal daily stuff and your the stuff I was talking about previously. And that gets overwhelming, and you see very easily how joy becomes jobu and you see very easily how the bagel becomes seductive, <laughs> because um, it is uh, entropy is easy, you know. Um, you know, Freddie Mercury says in Bohemian Rhapsody, "So nothing really matters," and you let yourself off the hook when you accept that, you know. Well, you know then you're not obligated to anything. You're not. You know, it's not your fault. And then also, nothing the there are there aren't nothing matters. So do whatever do you. And some people embrace as you said earlier. Some people embrace that's taking charge of your life and that's finding meaning and value in your life. Then things do matter. Of course, everything matters. And then, you know, for the folks that are like well, that are religious, or and they often say you know, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes from that point of view. And so none of this is a mistake. So. And from, if if that's your point of view, then you must accept then that God also allows for indecision and doubt. And also, apparently, <laughs> uh, no one has the wheel. But some people, just in, in, as many do in our current culture, and I, I talked about this at the end of our last episode, and Miss Marvel, that leads to just a depraved indifference, and that leads to a cancer in society and culture and in values and And that's that just big, giant, festering pit that's sort of growing
0: underneath you all the time. and Yeah, but you've mentioned in several previous episodes that despite all the entropy, despite the frustration, you still have to roll up your sleeves and you still got to pick up the the mantle and you still got to do your part in the fight. Or else, Mm -hmm. uh, like, because that's the long defeat, right? That's the point of the long defeat, is that you still... You recognize the frustration, you recognize the, the problems, but you don't give into it because that apathy, that's easy. It's, yeah. uh, it's easy. It's, it's not freeing. Like joy thinks that it's, that thinks that it's freeing and it's seductive in that it appears freeing, but all you're doing is just wallowing in, in your misery.
1: And you're also but, surrendering your
0: agency right and you know that's where authoritarians find ease because they don't have to think they don't have to evaluate they just have to listen to the person in charge and do whatever yes. that person says right so yes. you take no responsibility but you also take no agency and that's the thing like it appears freeing but really the reality is at least in my point of view you're less free because you have no agency because you've actively decided and chosen to give it up you know like you and I have talked several times about how frustrating the modern world is even for me all the crap that I I deal with here all the crap that I read about that's happening over there it sucks to read about it but the choice is to be like joy and and surrender your agency and just wallow in that everything is crap and you know from there what actively work to make it crap for everyone for everyone else or you be like wayman and you recognize that it sucks but you roll up your sleeves and you decide not to Contribute to it, but you instead do what you can, even in small stages, even in small steps. But you do what you can to to counter that, as you as you've said before, the long defeat.
1: Yeah, you you have to counter it. You have to stand up to it. Like you know, I may have said on the Miss Marvel episode, you have to put your body in front of something. You can't just talk about it. You can't just sort of whine about it, um, or complain about it, or just sort of give up and say, well, that's the way it is. No, it, it, what, it, all these things that are happening within our world, you, you have to get in front of it. And that, that, that leads to consequences, it leads to severe consequences. Our history is our history because people put themselves in, in the way of danger and often died uh, for their beliefs and our futures. And so that—that's what that means, and it's like you have to do that, and you have to be—you have to have the courage, you have to have the love for others and for the people that come after you, to give up your yourself and maybe even what you want um, out of your own life. And you know, and that's—I'm one reason this movie and so many of these others are fascinating to me right now is because I'm I'm dealing with these things in my fiction. in the Eververse books, that we all these things were talked about—long defeat, entropy, nihilism—all these things. These are all the things that that uh, Kit is confronting, and that's what, these are in the macro, in the micro. In the macro, she ultimately confronts something which is essentially the bagel, and mm-hmm. it is. But it, it sort of has a comic book aspect to it. It sort of has a, a different. It's not a bagel literally. Uh, it's something else, but she then. Kit is always someone who's going to stand up and and put herself in the way of something, and unfortunately for Kit, uh, what she ultimately realizes is that it's it's not going to. As we all realize, it doesn't end with you, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it you know y- you're not you can't defeat entropy. What you do is you you frustrate it, you complicate it, you you obstruct it, and unfortunately again for Kit, the way that that the only way for her to do that is something that comes at the cost comes at great enormous cost to her and what she sure. wants and all she wants all what she wants is what Wayman and Evelyn want um, but but that's heroes that that's that's all of our heroes they they, they sacrifice they make personal sacrifices for others um, well
0: it reminds me of the civil rights back in the 60s mm-hmm. in America right like people that that time they weren't fighting for themselves like there were several uh civil rights activists at the time who were saying that i may not see this future but i want my grandkids to see it and that's what they were working for
1: yeah uh martin luther king said several things to that effect and james baldwin famously uh talked about the the idea of a black, of an African-American president and, you know, how if he just waited, this would happen someday. And he wondered aloud why he should be made to wait.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, exactly. I mean, everything that they did for us and, you know, um, was to give ourselves the the freedoms and the and the opportunities that we have. And so then it's incumbent on us to maintain and preserve them for the people that come after us against the people that would take these rights away. And that would attempt to roll back and regress.
0: uh, Yeah. Fortunately American America is paving the way for that regression. Not enough people are Uh, joining in the fight.
1: Well, I, I, I don't know that that's true. Um, but it, what, what you're doing, but it's a fight and that's the thing. Um, one thing, just a real quick, aside is I, I'm personally tired on, on the Democratic side, and I'm a Democrat, so I'll, I'll speak. Uh, this is my account; I can talk about it. Um, I don't really want any more emails or headlines about what Republicans aren't doing. Okay, that they, you know, that they voted against this or they turned down that. I don't care what they're not doing. What I care about is what we're doing. Okay, you're not going to motivate my vote or get my money out of me anymore by telling me what they're not doing well you know 157 republicans voted against gay marriage i don't care why do we care what they're not doing why aren't we focused on what we're doing and why aren't we focused on w- the successes we've had and that we are that we are accomplishing that we did just pass a uh, a, a an assault weapons ban of limited measure but we did it we just appointed the first black woman to the Supreme Court. Why aren't we talking about the things that we're doing? Why aren't we talking about the fact that we're going to that we, we're going to find 60 votes in the Senate to codify same sex marriage into law? We're going to get 10 Republicans to help us out on that. Why aren't we talking about that? Why aren't we talking about the 17 or excuse me, 47 Republicans in the House that voted to pass same sex marriage? why aren't we talking about adam kissinger and liz cheney and what they're doing on the january 6 committee let's talk about what we're doing right and be like wayman let's put little eye dots everywhere and let's liven up the place and let's start talking about the doom and gloom because that's the republican strategy right that's that's nihilism that trump and his cronies promote right everything's mm-hmm. doom and gloom and so you wow. get out and like as you said you, you laid it out perfectly earlier these people just trump's our god trump's our boss and they just hand everything over to him trump's got it all figured out and then and then they just embrace entropy and when you engage in that same sort of scorched earth politics and sort of sort of gotcha politics and that sort of um doom scrolling politics you're engaging in in their thing and and i don't that doesn't work for us that doesn't work for us that's not how you accomplish shit. that's not how you motivate let's motivate by the things that we're actually
0: doing well and that's part of what's going on right is that when you embrace the entropy when you embrace the nihilism that that joy embraces and you you know nothing matters anyway so i might as well just get what's good for me and mine that's all right that that's as far as the thinking needs to go yeah if nothing matters i might as well screw over everything else just so I can make sure that I get three extra dollars. Why not? Nothing matters anyway. Yeah. Why should I have mm-hmm. to care about... Well, I mean, we were talking about this before we started recording. Why should we have to care about plastic-less packaging for Hasbro if nothing matters anyway? Who cares? Who cares if the Earth is going to hell? I want my figure, damn it. Right? Like that's the it, the embracing entropy, that's embracing nihilism
1: right, and it encourages it, it's you know yeah. everything, is, everything is so bad, everything is doom and gloom and there's nothing we can do about it So not and actually what you do is end up suppressing votes, you suppress action, mm-hmm. you suppress agency when you say well there's no point, there's nothing we can do about the environment, there is things we can do about the environment we can, we can get out of this, we got into it, we can get out of it, it's not going to be pretty <laughs> yeah we, we can get out of it. So, you, you know... know I, don't, I don't care what the Republicans are doing. We, we What are we doing? What are we going to do?
0: Sure. It reminds me of actually... Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of the MCU, the first Avengers movie, when Loki had the Germans kneel, mm. and he said, is this not simpler? Is this not easier for everyone? When right. you're just is this not your natural place of obedience that's that
1: yeah there's always a human instinct there has always been and there will always be a human instinct to have someone in control because we're ultimately creatures of circumstance who have little control of anything right so you have a natural human instinct to be like someone comes along and they're like i'm in charge and you're like yes he is in charge (laughs) i feel better right? That's just, it's, it's natural. But so that's good in some ways because that sometimes that person's like, we need to get out of here. Like, this is not a good place to be. And you're like, yes, you are correct. And you leave and therefore you survive and you go somewhere better and you prosper. And then sometimes that person is, that person gets everybody killed because they're like, we should leave. And everybody else is like, no, we shouldn't because this is a good spot. And then they go off in the desert and they're gone, right? So well,
0: This reminds me of in my own professional world um, one of the tenets that I believe in terms of my job is uh, management and not control. And I've said this to my, uh, to my staff, to my team, I've said this all the time that I do not want to control them. What I do want to do is manage things so it's easier for everybody, and it's that same idea between leadership and authoritarian, right? Like a leader is someone who, uh, who can motivate and gather the re gather the gather the troops to to come willingly. An authoritarian just tells them what to do, and Yeah. Like if we're, I see this in, in my own work, at least this constant fight that when I talk about wanting to manage, when I talk about wanting to take a more democratic approach to leadership, a more inclusive approach to leadership, I get a lot more mutiny. I get a lot more people questioning authority, questioning my authority. Because it doesn't look like the oppressive control that they're used to or they're clamoring for.
1: Well, when you, open, when you open the door or open the floor to voices, that means there are other voices. There are dissenting opinions. There are conflicting opinions. And, and that sometimes can undercut leadership because sometimes you, leadership is essential as someone who's been a leader in a corporate environment, I'm here to tell you, leadership is essential. Um, But you have to have, you have to be, you have to open, have an open door, and you have to be, you know, you you wanna get all those perspectives and you've gotta be, you've gotta be open. And that's the biggest thing I think in this movie, and then all the things that we're talking about is being open. And it's so easy for us to close off because that's a natural human thing too. Is to close off because mm-hmm. we're um, we're injured very very easily in every sense, uh, physically and mentally and emotionally. And so our a, a good go to for us is to close off. It it works. It's uh, it's one of our most uh, defining features. But what what that does though is that 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 isolates you and that 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 prevent that puts you in a place where you're close to experience and possibility and regardless of how old you are or whatever your circumstances are in life your limitations or challenges or whatever there's always possibility there's always possibility there's you know, and you got, you got to remember that. You got to try to hold on to that. That's what I loved about this movie. There, there, there are other lives for, or other different aspects of life for you. Um, you know, regardless of your circumstances, if you, if you open yourself up to them and you embrace them and, you, and maybe it's not what you wanted. Maybe it's not what you wanted. Maybe it's not what you expected. And, you know, if you're Evelyn, You get to look around at the end of the movie and say, you know what, this is pretty good. This is pretty decent, you know. I got a great, healthy family. Got a business. I got people who love me. not going to be a movie star, right? But I got a pretty bitchin' red jacket with, like, the flames on it and everything. Possibly best jacket in movies in 2022. Not everything sucks.
0: One thing I really liked in the movie I guess is, could we kind of wrap up is that I like how throughout the movie Evelyn feels validated that she made the wrong decision. Right? Like all of these alternate realities that she glimpses, she's successful. And in her mind, in the beginning of the movie, the point where she, where she strayed from being successful in all these other realities is by staying with Wayman and moving to America. Had she not done that, she could have done all these other things. Like the world was her oyster and she was going to be successful at all of that. That's what the conceit was in the beginning of the movie. But by the end, it's drilled into her that by trying all these different things and failing, that's what made her so powerful is because she created all of those alternates because of that, because she keeps trying all these different things. And it's the trying that creates the possibilities. It's not the success or failure. The fact that you try is what creates possibilities. I I thought that was a really interesting Mm -hmm. message and one that should definitely be unpacked uh, in like another episode or something like that. But yeah
1: absolutely you always you've got to try you got to give yourself a shot and that's the biggest thing you know in every aspect you have to you have to open up and you have to give a shot and you have to And that means exposing yourself sometimes to a lot of hurt and disappointment mm-hmm. you know whether like you know um uh like as a writer as a as an author you um You have to give your, if there's something you want to do in your life, let's like any sort of creative pursuit or ambition, let's say you want to start a business, um, you have to open yourself up to the possibility that the likelihood that it will fail. Um, And you have to, you have to understand that and you have to be okay with that. But that's not a, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try because you don't know what, where that that's going to go. That could go lots of different places that you didn't necessarily expect. If your only expectation or goal is to be number one New York Times bestseller, well, you're probably going to close yourself off to a lot of possibilities because that's not going to happen for you probably, right? Um, Or whatever, relationships are just opportunities. We talked a little bit about last week about uh being in Northern Ireland it's like I you know um there's a version of my life somewhere in the multiverse where I didn't go to Ireland that summer um because I didn't get in um I didn't get a scholarship I didn't get a chance to go and then so my life became something much less rich and dynamic because I didn't have those experiences and make those connections and so um I probably in that universe ended up very much like Waymond and Evelyn um, in in middle age and very bitter and (laughs) overwhelmed uh, um, as uh, Kit is when we meet her in Ever the Hero uh, where her life is atrophied Um, Mm -hmm. but um, Kit opens herself to possibilities and and, um, you, you have to keep doing that I agree wholeheartedly you gotta leave the door open even if no one walks through it you have to you have to do it so you have to try otherwise you wake up one day and you turn on Fox News and then
0: it makes sense to you <laughs> no one talks to you anymore <laughs> yeah so uh yeah uh i think my final thought will be um If you're interested in a piece of writing that I did that was, that to me has very similar beats of this movie, check out my story, The Many Lives of Felix Gunderson on fictionnot.com. I believe it's still there. Um, Should still be there. Yeah, check that out.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely, we'll link to that, and then uh, I'll just say, um, if folks have been listening to us, they know uh, my interest in this subject, and so I have a book, Nothing Ever Ends, the third book in the Eververse series, which bears some uh, similarities to this movie and to Doctor Strange, because they both deal with characters navigating uh, the multiverse, everything everywhere, the most successful of the three by far, one thing um, uh, in the macro though, I'll say is for folks who are reading these books, uh, thank you, um, as we go forward, um, you'll maybe kind of see how some of those things that we've been talking about today play out in the macro story of the whole thing, um, which gets teased at the end of Nothing Ever Ends. So. Um, yeah absolutely i i i live i live for this stuff like i said i think about it all the time i'm reading about it all the time i'm watching all these movies there's we're living in this moment where all this stuff is sort of happening all at once and and um i think it's great final thought i I, at the i mentioned at the outset the dog so i just briefly as we get out of here i just want to i just want to note uh the uh epic fight uh between jenny slate slinging her dog as a mace, and Evelyn dispatching the dog and perhaps the funniest thing you've ever seen. Literally the people, the people in the bedlam, hysteria at the sight of the dog bouncing off of something, a desk, a wall. <laughs> I don't know what it was. It is, uh, it is if nothing else, if you don't care about any of the stuff we're talking about, that's worth the price of admission. <laughs>
0: yeah. Check out the... Uh dog weaponry
1: (laughs) the dog weaponry that'll do it for today folks thanks again for joining us once again I'm Darby Harn and you can find more information about me and my books at my website darbyharn.com I'm also on twitter at darbyharn. Sugu how can they find out more about us in the podcast
0: you can follow us on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you can reach us at our email address shelfwarmers at gmail.com Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye.